Amen. Now, check this out. Have you guys ever heard this guy, Dr. Eric Pianca? Wow. I'm not making this up. This sounds like pretty crazy. But this is what this guy actually did. He uh, recently gave a speech at the Texas Academy of Science in which he advocated the need to exterminate 90% of the population through the airborne Ebola virus. Now, that's the one that's going around right now. But listen to what he says. He's, he's doing this in front of a slide of human skulls all stacked up, and he gleefully advocated this virus as his preferred method of extermination of the human race, choosing over AIDS because it's got a faster kill period. This is being taught at a university. Okay, he says, uh, uh, it says, Ebola victims obviously su uh, suffer the most torturous deaths imaginable as the virus kills by liquefying your internal organs. The body literally dissolves as the victim writhes in pain, bleeding from every, every orifice. And this guy is, you bring this thing on. Okay, Pianca also suggests that we should begin to sterilize the human population, saying that, quote, we need to sterilize everybody on the earth and make the antidote, listen, freely available to anyone willing to work for it. What kind of slavery? It's called the Antichrist Society, folks. This is really what these guys are working towards, okay? Anyway, believe it or not, uh, Pianca was later, listen to this, he not only just said that, he was later after this presented with jail time. They ripped his teacher's accreditations out for that with an award, a Distinguished Scientist Award by the Academy, and amazingly, the audience that was there of fellow scientists, students, the generation coming up, actually applauded, cheered, and laughed approvingly. We need to kill 90% of the population with the Ebola virus, okay? He's no crackpot. He's given lectures, not just there, but to prestigious universities around the world, and he's merely echoing the elite's hideous interest in depopulation techniques based on what? Darwinian control mechanism. So where is this guy getting this idea that this is a good thing? It's evolution. It's an evolutionary mindset. Hitler did the same thing, right? You know, if we're no different than the trees and the bees and the rocks and all that stuff, and we're all, there's no existence and no meaning and purpose and value to life, then who gets to determine who lives or not? The strongest, the fittest, whoever's at the top. Okay, and that's what these guys are actually doing. It comes from evolution. Now, a Dr. Forrest Mims, he's been trying to expose this guy in his comments as he's traipsing around the world and people think it's great. And uh, he actually wrote to Pianca, and he asked for an explanation as to why he wanted to see, listen, a worldwide epidemic that would kill only Africans. Now, wait a second. He wants the Ebola virus to kill 90% of the population, thinks that's a good thing. And it's going on right now. I'm not going to say necessarily it's him behind it, but, and where did it start? Africa. What? Anyway, I digress. And he, so he responded to that uh, question by saying that he was not racially prejudiced and he wanted to see 90% of all races exterminated. As he puts it, he wants an equal opportunity killer virus. <laughs> now, Dr. Mims, the guy who's trying to expose this guy, stuff, he says, quote, the only difference between Pianca and Hitler is that Hitler stated he wanted to kill five and a half million people. This guy's saying he wants to kill five and a half billion people. This is going on, folks, in our school systems today. This is what these people, because of evolution, are teaching, okay? How many of you guys would like to have him as your teacher? You learn real quick not to smart off to him. Tell you what, but what? This is crazy, okay? Now, as we saw before, he's not alone. This is the logical conclusion when you say there is no God, there is no value, there is no purpose and meaning to life. You get to become God. You get to determine who lives or not. And evolution produces this. Now, we're going to take a look at some quotes we saw before of people who really want to annihilate 90% of the planet okay we've seen this before but let's take a look at them again uh by way of example margaret sanger now who's she planned parenthood you need to come this sunday lord willem we're going to look at our next sign on wickedness in the final countdown update study and we're going to deal with this okay atheism and what it generates okay uh margaret singer planned parenthood abortion right she called for quote the elimination of human weeds for the cessation of charity because it prolonged the lives of the unfit for the segregation of morons and misfits and the maladjusted and for the sterilization of genetically inferior races. So why? That's the founder of Planned Parenthood. So it's, is it really just about you know, killing the child, which is bad enough? They specifically want to get rid of people on the planet, and specifically those that they deem are lower races, less intelligent. Again, we'll get into that more on Sunday. David Graeber, he's a research biologist with the National Park Service. He said, quote, we have become a plague upon ourselves and upon the earth. Who says? Right? And then he goes on. He says, now, until such a time as Homo sapiens should decide to rejoin nature, i.e. die, uh, some of us can only hope for the right virus to come along. 
you got to be kidding me, folks. Uh, Jacques Cousteau, remember him back in the day? Well, praise God for that response because that was way better than Sunday's response on Leave it to Beaver. Anyway, thank you, Ron. <laughs> Jacques Cousteau, he wrote this, the damage people cause the planet is a function of a demographic. It's equal to the degree of development. He gives an example. Supposedly, one American burdens the earth much more than 20 Bangladeshis. He said, this is a terrible thing to say, and, but in order to stabilize this, the world population, we must eliminate 350,000 people per day. He said, it's a horrible thing to say, but it's just as bad not to say it. Okay, if it's not so bad, let's start with your family. It's always somebody else's family. It's always somebody else's property. It's always somebody else's livelihood, right? You come with these whacked out evolutionary sick ideas and you want to put it on other people. Jacques Cousteau said that. Now, again, the, the myth that's used there to push this is also the myth of overpopulation. Easy to demonstrate that's a lie. How many guys have ever driven through Kansas? <laughs> Hello? How about Nebraska? Throw in Wyoming, right? <laughs> Hello, we're not overpopulated. How many guys have ever been in a plane and looked out the window? <laughs> There's all kinds of room. This is a lie. And when they say overpopulation, what do they do? It's propaganda. They show you a picture of, guess where? Downtown New York City, Beijing, China. Uh. I like what one guy says. Hey, if it's crowded where you live, move. Okay? It's a bunch of baloney, folks. All right, let's move on. Uh, uh, Bertrand Russell, he wrote, at present, the population of the world is increasing. War has so, uh, so far has had no great effect on this increase. I do not pretend that birth control is the only way in which population can be kept from increasing. There are others, you know, you know, if we all work together. Quote, if a black death could be spread throughout the world once every generation, survivors could procreate freely without making the world too full. Excuse me? He said, now, the state of affairs might be somewhat unpleasant, but hey, what of it? Quote, really high-minded people are indifferent to the suffering, especially that of others. You've got to be kidding me, folks. This is their actual quotes, okay? Dr. Sam Keen, he's a New Age writer and philosopher. He stated this quote, we must speak far more clearly, listen to this, cat's out of the bag on this quote, far more clearly about sexuality, contraception, and about abortion, about values that what? Control the population. Put it all together, folks. You think, why do they keep pushing homosexuality? Why do they push lesbianism? Why do they push contraception and abortion? Because they have one thing in common, no children. And if you want the population to go down, that's what you push, amongst other things, feminism and things of that nature, okay? He says the reason why is because the ecological crisis, in short, is a population crisis. Cut the population by 90%, and there aren't enough people left to do a great deal of ecological damage. Okay, Mr. Keene, how about your family? Line up. Get the front of the line if you really believe that. But again, it's always somebody else's family, okay? And I'm not making this up. Ted Turner, now the media is involved in this, and he actually said this. People who abhor the China one-child uh, policy are dumb dumb. Now, that's his words, not mine. So my guess is his English teacher didn't like him. Uh, maybe they considered him a thing thing. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, he actually said this, man. He goes even worse. The total population of 250 to 300 million people, a 95% decline from present levels would be ideal. Ted Turner. I'll say it again. All right, Ted, light up. And then go down your family history. Get your cousins, your first cousins, your neighbors, and pretty soon you're going to find everybody's away from you. It's always somebody else, okay? Now, folks, again, as we saw last week, you take a look at the side effects of evolution because what you believe determines how you behave. If there is no God and you get to be God and you get to determine life because life has no meaning, you're going to act like it. And so based on this, when you take it to its ultimate conclusion, stop calling evolution evolution. We need to start calling it evolution because it spawns this evil, horrible mass genocide behavior and that's the justification that they're doing and that's why we're going to continue that's right one more time again in this aspect the witness of creation again you know the premise what we're doing is taking a look at different evidences that god's left behind for us to show us he's not just real but we really can have a personal intimate beautiful relationship with the creator of the universe i hope that never gets old for anybody excuse me man that's worth getting out of bed for okay now we've seen several different ways he's done that because he's loving he's gracious he's kind he lets us know this and we saw that the first way was 10 weeks that's right on intelligent design we've been created by god it's all over the place the evidence for that the second way is we have been here only for a few thousand years not millions and billions of years so that right there pulls the rug out from evolution that needs the big giant dates Okay, it agrees with the biblical account. And the last five times we saw the third evidence was the evidence of a special creation. And what we've been seeing is the good news that you and I are a special person. Turn to somebody and say, hey, you're special, man. Right? Now, try it again, except this time sound like Elvis because we're in Vegas. You're special, man. Right? <laughs> like I did. Right? You get, get into it. You know what I'm saying? That's right. Thank you. Thank you very much, Joey. Thank you. 
But we're a special creation, created for a special purpose, to have a special relationship with God, right? That's good news, right? Now, the bad news is, what does evolution say? Nope, you got it all wrong. Nope, you guys uh, don't listen to the Bible. Nope, you are nothing. You came from nothing, and you're going nowhere when you die. Right? As we saw, hello, no wonder the world's so hopeless. Uh, okay? And it's one thing if we would have to deal with that because based on the hard evidence. It's not. This hopeless message is based on hoaxes, okay? And we saw that again last time, not only with all the other mechanisms of evolution they say has happened with natural selection, embryology and stuff, but the last two times we saw was also the problem with mutations and vestigial organs. And apparently the only vestigial organ there was, if you hear last week, was my tongue. Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah! See? I did it! Yeah! Now I practiced 937 times this week, but I got it down. That's right, but uh, obviously that shows that, no, there is no vestigial organ, not even my tongue, so whatever. Uh, but we saw, hey, listen, that's a bunch of baloney, too, and we, because we, we, we're Christians, and what we do is we ignore the evidence, we hate science, we're anti-science, anti-intellectual, and we just disagree because the Bible says something. To, no, we took a look at the facts, and we saw that, okay, let's put this thing to the test, okay? And we saw that there's some serious problems, problem with the theory, problem with the evidence, hello, and problem with the quotes. Even in their own camp, they admit this is a bunch of baloney. And again, we came to the conclusion, hey, if all you have is lies to support your theory, maybe it's time to get a new theory. That's right. Bobby, it is so hard not to join in, isn't it, with getting that recording back there. Uh, that's right. Uh, but anyway, that's right. So we're going to take a look at the final three that at least I'm going to deal with. And uh, they just keep, they just will not admit defeat. Okay, and we're going to take a look at transitional fossils, okay, is a method that they say. We're going to take a look at something called punctuated equilibrium. Let's say that. Hard to say, even harder to spell, so it must be true, right? No, I don't think so. And then the final one is we're going to look at sequential ordering, putting the bones in order, proving evolution. That's a bunch of baloney. But before we get to that, those final three supposed mechanisms as to how evolution is supposed to take place, okay, let's remind ourselves where the Bible says all of life came from. Who was responsible for our existence? Was it God or just some giant accident? Well, let's take a look at Colossians tonight. Colossians chapter 1, okay, and... Um, if you find Colossians chapter 1, what do you do? Go to verse 13, Joey. You're on the ball. That's right. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. Now, again, as we uh, talked last week, uh, deliberately going out of the Genesis account to once again show us in the Scripture, the Scripture is emphatic, the Bible is emphatic, that God is the one who's responsible for our creation. Okay? Not just the Genesis account. It's all over. Old Testament, now we're in the New Testament. God is the one who is responsible for our existence. So this is no isolated teaching in the Scripture. It's all over the Scripture, okay? And specifically, the Bible's going to tell us it's Jesus who's responsible, okay? And this is what we're going to see in this text, and it's great news, okay? Colossians chapter 1, let's read starting with verse 13. Here's what the Scripture says to you. For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of what? Darkness, and he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Who's that? Jesus. That's right, Joey, Jesus. Always a safe answer. Uh, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Man, that'll preach. We can stop right there and start getting excited. Anybody glad getting out of the kingdom of darkness? Dominion of darkness? Man, remember those days? Ugh. Right? But he, Jesus, is the in, uh, image of the invisible God. So if you want to see God in the flesh, so to speak, who do you see? Jesus, okay? He's the firstborn, literally preeminent over all creation. Nobody is like Jesus, in other words. For by him, Jesus, how many things were created? All. What's all mean? All. Okay, you scholars. Okay. All, right? And in case you don't get it, I love how Paul continues on. Oh, by the way, all means all, in case you don't know that. Uh, things in heaven and on earth, uh, the visible, even the invisible, you know, like the atoms and stuff, whether thrones or uh, 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 rulers or, or authorities or all things were created by who? Jesus. And for who? For Jesus. So we were created for a purpose, guys. Okay, it's great news in the scripture, okay? And uh, so all powers and rules and authorities, all things were created by Jesus and for him. For he, Jesus, is before all things, and listen to this, and in him, what? All things hold together. So here again, we see, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, Jesus is once again, not only, obviously, God in the flesh, but since he is God, uh, who is the one who also created all flesh, he created everything. Things which were invisible, invisible, the whole nine yards, everything came from God, okay, and specifically uh, mention uh, God the Son here, Jesus, okay, but it also says there's something interesting going on here. It said, and all things he what? Holds together. Jesus is responsible for holding all things together, okay? How many guys are glad that evolution is not true 
and that it's just not some random event, and we're just hoping that some other universe or planet doesn't collide into the earth. Who keeps everything from falling apart and flying apart and blowing apart? It's Jesus, okay? In fact, they even know the scientists, uh, even when it comes to uh, the atom, you know, they know that there's a proton and a neutron and electron and all that stuff, okay? Uh, but that for the life of them, they can't figure out what keeps them from flying apart. What holds it together? Well, believe it or not, some people believe that uh, when it comes to uh, creation, uh, God has left his signature on this verse. It says here, Jesus is the one, God is the one who holds us all together. Well, they discovered a molecule in the human body. It literally is called the glue of the human body. It's what holds us together. It literally keeps our organs from coming apart. How many of you guys like that thing now? I like it a lot. Okay. And uh, they actually finally put an electron microscope on this molecule. And uh, it's kind of interesting. When you look at Colossians 1, Jesus holds all things together. And uh, let's take a look at the laminin molecule. Did you know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? God is the one who created you, breathed his breath of life into you. He has poured out in you skills, talents, and abilities unique to you and you alone. There is no one like you that has ever existed in the past, the present, and in the future. Want to know some amazing facts about you? Ever heard of laminin? Laminin is a protein found in the extracellular matrix. The sheets of protein that hold all internal organs, also called the basement membrane. Laminin is vital to making sure your overall body structures hold together. Laminin tells other cells what to do and is described as the rebar of the human body. Without laminin, your body would literally fall apart. Here is a scientific diagram of the cell adhesion molecule laminin, holding your body together right now. Laminin, the molecule that is holding you together right now, is in the perfect shape of the cross, the cross that Jesus gave up his life on for you. You are being held together right now as you sit and watch this by Jesus Christ. He put his stamp of approval on you. Psalms chapter 139 verses 13 through 14 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You are a treasure to God. You are held together by Jesus Christ. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Wow, intriguing. Now, is that exciting, encouraging, awesome news or what? Oh, so you get that from the scripture. You also get it with science, okay? The Bible is not an anti-science book, okay? And it's great news to know that Jesus holds us all together, including our organs, but if he holds us literally our bodies together, okay, then that means he also holds our life together. He holds our future together. It's just absolutely encouraging news. Now, the problem is that evolution says, nope, 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 nope. Tom, wipe that out of your head. Just skip that video. Do something else. Anything, you know, look at me. Look at me. Look over here at evolution. Look at me. Right? <laughs> and, and, and you, no, no, it's, it's by pure blind chance that you're even here, Tom. And your guts could fall apart any day now. Have a nice day. Right? That's what evolution says, right? And one of the things they say is, oh, we know it's true. And you should listen to us, not God and not science. That even brings that passage, Colossians 1 to life like that. It's amazing. And they said, because we have proof for it. And it's because of all these things called transitional fossils. Now, we talked about this before, but I want to try to visualize it for you tonight with some exciting pictures. Hopefully, you enjoy some artwork. Oh, yeah, transitional fossils. And as you know, we've talked about this before in different studies and even this a little bit uh, in our intelligent design part. And the premise for transitional fossils is this. Evolutionists believe that they have proof of evolution and they say that millions and billions of years, over millions and billions of years, uh, that there has been millions and billions of evolutionary changes in creatures, and each one of these supposed changes over millions and billions of years is called a transition, right? Is the premise. And they say each one of these transitions 
is a process of the creature changing slowly over time into a different creature, okay? And they say, well, and if you don't believe me, all you got to do is just look at the fossil record. Look at the bones and the dirt. You're going to find that this transitional fossil changing slowly over time is right there in the dirt. So, again, the question is, is this true? Is Jesus the one who created us and holds us all together, or did we come from transitional fossils? We came from Jesus, okay? Uh, transitional fossils, folks, are a lie. And uh, the reason why it's a lie is because we're going to do some homework, and you tell me, folks, if this is not yet another uh, story made up by evolution. That's all they have for proof. Now, the problem that we have with it is several different things. The first of all is the problem with what we find, the whole premise. Let's visualize that premise. We've talked about this before, but I'm going to try to bring some artwork so you can uh, uh, do that. Okay, so basically, believe it or not, evolutionists believe that the modern bat evolved from a rat-like creature over millions of years, making millions of transitions. They literally today teach that bats evolved from rats. Okay, I'm not making this up. In fact, the German name for bat is Fledermaus, which means flying mice. They really believe this. Okay, okay, but what do we find? All we ever find today is fully formed bats and fully formed rats. Oh, by the way, if the bats evolved over millions of years and transitioned uh, from a rat, why do we still have rats? But you're not supposed to think that. Look at me, look at me over <laughs> okay, uh, let's take a look at this. Now, let's put it to the test, right? Uh, let's see what we should find if we really are going to have this supposed transition over millions of years from a rat uh, turning into a bat, okay? So obviously, you start with a rat. You guys are scientists. This is incredible, right? And there's your exciting picture. You guys like the drawing? Yeah, thank you, all one of you. All right, let's move on. But now, for some reason, if he's going to start to journey into this transition to a rat, he has to go on a serious Jenny Craig diet. He's got to lose four-fifths of its body weight, Okay. Now, they make up stories, so we're going to make up a story tonight. Okay, so join me with this story. Now, we're thinking, well, why did that happen? Because there's got to be an impetus. Maybe it was Thanksgiving, got the best of them. Uh, Vegas here's got tons of buffets. You know, you can let yourself go. So, you know, somehow he decided, he woke up one day, and four-fifths of its body weight had to get rid of, as you can see there uh, by that transition. Now, step number two, somewhere along the line, for some equally odd reason, the rat decides to lose all of its hair. Okay, maybe it's a bad barber job, like what? I'm not bitter about it, Ryan. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, I don't know, but for some reason he wakes up and he now says, I got to get rid of all my hair. Somehow he gets rid of all of his hair. So that's the next transition. But now he decides he's got to get rid of his fingers and replace them with flattened stubs. Because at some point they're going to have to turn into wings, right? So you got to start the process. Now there's a couple theories about this. Some think that the impetus was his mom caught him picking his nose. And this was her way of preventing him from doing that, Tom, right? Because if it gets too, you know, it just won't fit in the nose and the orifice. And hey, moms, you do your incredible things, right? You guys don't even need wash rags. You guys ever uh, remember that? You got something on your face? What's your mom do? Do the, yeah, lick your, right? And how many guys remember going to school and smell like uh, stale coffee on your cheek, man, all day long? I was there. Let's move on. All right, now, uh, now the rat gets serious about uh, his stubs and uh, arbitrarily decides to take a rolling pin or something to flatten them out because they got to get bigger, you know, because he's only got, you know, just little things right here. Or maybe I'm thinking, Ryan, maybe it was a truck backed over him and started the process. He's somehow got to get him flattened out, okay? And he's somehow alive. Uh, some say, no, he's starting to rebel against his mom. We just don't know. We just, just back off, back off. This is science. We're making, we're, we're trying to figure this out, Tom. We, you know, but it seems logical. And, and now the rat decides to get rid of his toes, right? Because, you know, the, you know, have you seen bats, you know, right? And, and so, so one theory is, okay, he must still be rebelling against his mom. He's still upset over the nose-picking thing. Others say, no, his dad made him do it because he got caught k- kicking the cat. So this was dad's way, okay, so we're going to squish your toes so you can't kick the cat anymore, pick your nose, whatever. Hey, you know what? This evolution stuff is really hard on the family unit, but he survived. He survived, and he made... He, Hey, listen, don't be laughing at my story. This is, this is, it makes sense to me, right? And, and now, now we see the rat getting even larger with flattened out fingers, uh, seemingly taking on the appearance of wings. Again, maybe that truck kept backing up, or I don't know. His neighbors came over, helped him with the rolling pins, squishing it further. I don't know, somehow. But keep in mind, at this stage, uh, in the middle part, uh, both his wings and feet are completely useless. They still don't give you the ability to fly, and you can't walk, so you just sit there. Right? Kind of like when you watch that device. Look at me, look at me. No, I'm getting mileage out of that one. Uh, but, but somehow, he avoids getting depressed about it. Because he literally can't go anywhere. He can't fly, and he can't walk. Right? That's your halfway point. How many guys would say that dead creature or creatures that can't fly or walk are dead meat? The first one who's getting eaten on the ground, right? Okay, so anyway, that's a whole other problem. Uh, but now he takes on a more sinister look. Because you guys have seen bats, right? <laughs> you know, evil-looking critters, right? 
Anyway, and so he starts to do that. So, and again, there's two theories out there, Tom. Uh, according to science, apparently, uh, some feel it's due to the depression that he can't hold back any longer. You know, dealing with all this family strife and persecution he's experiencing just for wanting to uh, get rid of some mucus. Uh, some think it's a side effect from watching too much TV. We're really not sure. We just don't know. Give me some room, Tom. Back off, will you? Uh, some feel it's due to the depression that he just can't hold back any longer, uh, any of that stuff. And so finally, anyway, he makes it through that. He mysteriously changes into a bat. Now, I mean, it just all of a sudden just happened. He woke up. Some think it might be uh, after he passed out watching too much TV and he woke up and voila, there it was. Or again, some think he was just depressed. He fell asleep. He woke up one day and there it was. Again, we just don't know, but hey, that's our story. We're sticking to it. Right? <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, now here's the whole point. Now, the whole premise is supposedly, and this is what they actually teach, folks. The whole premise is we start off with one creature, the rat, down here, right? And you end up with the new creature, the bat. And it's depicted... There's about nine or whatever of those transitions, right? Now, pay attention, folks, as you look at this, okay? Uh, notice how many millions of supposed transitions there would have to be over millions of years if the rat really did change into a bat, right? That's just nine depictions, but they're supposed to be slowly little tweaked here and there for whatever reason over millions of years and millions of years. So that's just, there should be millions of them, right? Well... Here's the problem. So we should expect, they said, just look in the fossil record. The proof's right there. So we should be able to find not just fully formed rats and fully formed bats. What should we supposed to find in the most abundance by these scores? All these intermediate, they're called transitional fossils. Well, guess what, folks? We find none. There's none. Zero. Nada. That which should be in the most abundance, we find none. All we ever find is what agrees with the biblical account fully formed rats, fully formed bats. It's a bunch of baloney, okay? It's exactly opposite of what the theory implies, okay? But then, then we have the problem of what we do see in the fossil record, okay? We don't find that in the fossil record, but what we do see doesn't agree with it either, okay? Remember, it's supposed to be over millions of years, something transcends through evolutionary processes into a different creature. Well, let's take a look at what we find. Here is a picture of a fossilized horseshoe crab that according to their dating system, is 450 million years old. And you got to sound like that, Tom, when you say that, right? Okay, now we already saw in our previous study uh, with the young creation or young earth uh, that we've only been for a few thousand years. So we've already dispelled that myth. But let's play the game, right? Let's give them their big date and let's put even their dates and belief system to the test. Uh, even if they, they gave them the huge dates, we've got a problem. The supposed 450 million year old horseshoe crab fossils are identical to the ones alive today. I mean identical. Can you believe that, Ruth? What a shocker. Therefore, the question is, logically, why haven't they long since transitioned into something new by now? Why are they exactly the same? Nothing's changing. Nothing's transitioning. And that's the tip of the iceberg. Uh, here's a supposed starfish fossil said to be 100 to 150 million years old. It's exactly identical to starfish today. Zero changes whatsoever. Here's some oyster fossils, supposedly 400 million years old. Again, exactly like oysters we see today. Here's some supposed 1.9 million-year-old fossil bacteria found in Canada, probably under a piece of chicken, my theory, Tom. Where do you find that? But anyway, it's the exact same as bacteria structures today. Zero change. Here's the oldest known fossilized scorpion, according to their date. Now, again, we've already dispelled the myth of millions and billions of years, but playing their game. And this was in Scotland. It's supposed to be 320 million years old. As you can see, folks, it's exactly like the same species of scorpion today. There's no changes. Nothing's transitioned into a new creature. Here's a supposed 140 million year old dragonfly found in Germany fossil. Uh, it's exactly identical to uh, dragonflies today. No change. Here's some supposed 35 million year old flies. Guess what? They bug people back then. They bug them today. They're exactly the same, folks. Okay, give me a break. Here's a supposed 170 million year old fossilized shrimp, supposedly from the Jurassic age. Ooh, guess what? They're just like shrimp today. Okay, it's crazy. Here's a supposed 25 million year old termite fossil found in amber, as you can see up top. Guess what? They're just like termites today. Anybody starting to see a pattern here? It's like nothing has changed. And there is no transitions, okay? It's a bunch of baloney. So the point is that these creatures supposedly existed for millions of years, according to evolution, they should have long since transitioned into a new kind of creature by now, okay? But the problem is they haven't, okay? Uh, out of the millions of fossils remains we do see, all we ever see is the exact same kind of creatures. Now, for those of you not getting the graphic, what that is is people lining up with liar, liar, pants on fire, okay? And uh, they're trying to put it out, but we keep exposing it, so their pants are still on fire. Uh, but anyway, so some have gone extinct, but nothing has ever changed into another creature. 
even playing with their dates, folks. The whole thing is a bunch of baloney, and shocker, they even admit it in their own camp. This is a Robert Carroll. He's an expert, uh, quote-unquote, on vertebrae paleontology. He said, despite more than 100 years of intense collecting effort since the time of Darwin's death, the fossil record still does not yield the picture of infinitely numerous transitional links that he expected. What did he just say? All those millions and billions of transitional fossils, even from a rat to a bat, uh, we find zero. That's from their own camp, folks, is what he's saying. Biologist Francis Hitching, he says, if we find fossils, and if Darwin's theory was right, we can predict that what the rock should contain, right? You should find all these transitions in the dirt. Finally graduated fossils leading from one group of creatures, rat to a bat, to another group of creatures at a higher level of complexity, right? He said, but this is hardly ever the case. In fact, quote, the opposite holds true. This is their own camp. Darwin felt that though the extreme imperfection of the fossil record was simply a matter of digging up more fossils, and that was his thing. Well, we don't see any evidence now. And this is what Darwin actually believed. We, even back in his day, we don't see any evidence now, but I'm sure if we just keep digging in the dirt, eventually we're going to find it. Folks, just on this one issue on transitional fossils, according to its own definition, there should be millions and billions per creature. So every time we put a shovel in the dirt, what should we be digging up? Tons of them, and we find nothing. Okay, and that's what he admits. Darwin felt though that the extreme imperfection of the fossil record was simply a matter of digging up more fossils. But the more and more fossils were dug up, it was found that almost all of them, without exception, were very close to the current living animals. In other words, no change. Okay, and Niles Elridge, in case you don't know, he's one of the biggest evolutionists on the planet. He even said this, 120 years of research later, it has become abundantly clear that the fossil record will not confirm this part of Darwin's predictions, nor is the problem a miserable poor record. He says the fossil record simply shows that this prediction is what? Wrong. Here's the question again. Then why do you still put it in the textbooks? Why do you still teach it on TV? Because folks, we've been seeing every single week, this is how bankrupt this so-called theory really is. It's all based on lies. And if, all, if you get them to remove their lies, they have nothing to prove their theory. That's why they push it. That's how bankrupt this is, okay? But uh, I'd say that there's some transitions, all right. I see that somebody needs to make a transition to the lie detector station or something. You know what I'm saying? It's a bunch of baloney, okay? But again, that's transitional fossils. The next one we're going to take a look at that's also a lie, shocker, is punctuated equilibrium. How you like that one, Tom? That was really dramatic. This is Vegas. Oh, you like that graphic, too? Spelt wrong? Man, that's great. I told you it was hard to spell. Uh, but apparently, because it's hard to spell and it's uh, hard to even say, it must be true, okay? No, it's another lie. And uh, believe it or not, I'm not making this up. Evolutionists, even after all that we've seen, we've exposed pretty much every single one of their mechanisms over the last five weeks, and this one six weeks, right? They still will not admit defeat. What they do is we, we can point out, and we have pointed out, time and time and time and time again, they just keep making up stories. And we expose their stories, they move on to the next story. We expose that story, they move on to the next story, right? Well, they just keep making up more stories. And the latest story is this thing called punctuated equilibrium, okay? And all it is is a fancy-smancy way of trying to say this, and this is the premise. Well, okay, maybe the reason why we don't find any transitional fossils, you know, all these intermediate forms between a rat and a bat or anything for that nature, is because maybe... Maybe evolution didn't happen slowly over millions of years. Maybe it happened rapidly. And these spontaneous burps, if you will. Suddenly, that's right, Tom, because we don't find any evidence. They, they will not admit defeat. And so they came up with this term, punctuated equilibrium, to describe this, right? And, and basically, I'm not making this up. You're going to see a photograph, okay, in a little bit. Uh, but basically, they say, okay, here's, here's what happened, all right? One day... A crocodile laid some eggs, and out of that egg popped out a crow. That, in a nutshell, no pun intended, uh, crocodile shell, uh, is punctuated equilibrium. We don't find any evidence for it ha happening slowly over millions of years, so maybe it just popped on the scene like that. Okay, so that's what they believe. Okay, so the question is, did we really come from a process called punctuated equilibrium, or did we come from Jesus? Okay, Jesus is a good answer. And again, the reason why we disagree is because we ignore the fact. No, it's because we take a look at the facts and we examine them with the brain that Jesus created and is holding together, by the way, uh, with the lamina molecule. But let's take a look at this thing called punctuated 
equilibrium. Now, you can see the picture right there, the first bird hatching from a reptilian egg. That, in a nutshell, visualize, that's punctuated equilibrium, okay? And if this were to occur, let's put it to a test, though, okay? If this were to occur, then millions of mutations, okay, have to suddenly occur all at once for one creature to produce a whole new kind of creature, right? Because, I mean, that's, how many guys could recognize tonight that a crocodile is a little bit different from a crow? I don't have enough gum to give to all you guys. You guys are awesome. Wow, okay. So therefore, it takes a lot of changes, right? Okay, well, that's, that's what this would be, okay? And it, just like that, hatching the bird from the reptile scenario. That's what they believe. But the problem is, uh, what we've observed, and we saw this last week with mutations, uh, mutations, first of all, occur single, not multiple, okay? If they do happen, number one. But you have to have millions of these things to take place if that were to happen. So the problem is you're never going to get the millions of mutations needed to, quote, spontaneously change that croc into the crow. That's just not how mutations work. So that's problem number one, okay? The next problem is mutations, as we saw last week, are not beneficial, okay? So the problem is not only would you need millions of mutations to occur all at once in a just instantaneous time, which is ridiculous, but every single one of those supposed million mutations have to be beneficial, not 90% of them, all of them, because again, one detrimental kills the organism and et cetera, blah, blah. Well, the problem is what we saw, folks, last week is all we've ever observed with mutations is they are not beneficial, they are detrimental. They either hurt, harm, or kill the creature, right? As you can see with this June bug. How many guys even know what a June bug is? You grew up in the Midwest, praise God. How many guys ever ate June bugs growing up? No, I didn't do it. No. Now, this is how little brothers get back with big brother. This is going on tape. My brother Jim ate June bug. My mom told me she, he'd, he'd be like popcorn, like candy on the screen door. He'd pick them up. Anyway, love you, Jim. All right, anyway, going around the world. Catch out of the bag. All right, anyway, so anyway, so therefore, as one evolutionist put it, give me a break. Uh, these, and they're speaking about punctuated equilibrium. These monsters are not hopeful. It's hopeless. It's never going to happen. You'd have to have millions. They don't happen in millions. And every single one had to be beneficial. And none of them are beneficial. So you can come up with another story you want. It's a bunch of baloney. All right, now, you got another problem. You got to have not just one of these creatures pop onto the scene, okay? You have to have what? Two, right? How many guys can figure out that it takes two to have a family? Uh, you, again, I'm going to have to stock up on gum next week. All right, now, and this is because obviously a new kind of creature, if it's going to survive, supposedly if the crow came out of that croc, Okay, you need one male and one female, right? That's pretty obvious. Then they have to appear on the scene close enough to find each other, right? So even if it were to happen, let's say it spontaneously happened, one of them in Africa, and the other one was over there in South America, how are they ever going to meet up, right? And it's supposed to be a complete random, spontaneous thing, okay? I don't think so. And, and, and then they got to be interested in each other. You know, that can be tough sometimes. And then they got to hope they, they want to get married and will marry them and have kids, and sometimes that can be a... A challenge. And, and if that wasn't a big enough feat, this is their own words. Listen to their own definition. Keep in mind, they say this rare event, which they've never seen, but again, you just make up your story and make up your dates, happens only once every 50,000 years. Wait, wait a second. You guys are, are already ahead of me. So who in the world is going to wait around 50,000 years before you get married and have kids, let alone stay alive, hoping somebody else pops on the scene and just happens to be the opposite sex so you can come together in the same time, same place and get... It's ridiculous, folks. That's their own definition, okay? And not only are there known problems, uh, but neither is there any ev evidence, and they admit it. Okay, let's take a look at this. Ernst Mayer, he's been called the dean of Darwinism, said to believe that such a drastic mutation would produce a viable new type is equivalent to believing in what? Miracles. It'd have to be a miracle, right? But of course, they deny that. And, uh, but let's not just read what they speak. Let's hear them speak. I couldn't wait to share this one. I've been sitting on this for a while. At the, at the end of this clip, you're going to see Richard Dawkins. I'm going to, Lord willing, quote him twice on some other issues on atheism on Sunday, Lord willing. But he is going to be put on the spot, okay, on an interview. And he's going to be asked, okay, how much evidence do you have for evolution? This is one of the top atheist evolutionist minds in the world. And you tell me how much evidence he has just ripping off the top of his head. Let's, let's take a look at that. He's not necessarily a big fan of punctuated equilibrium, but the point is, this is one of the top guys, slow, fast evolution, pick whatever mechanism, 
How many examples does he give? Let's take a look at that. If one were to believe the Neo-Darwinian account, uh, you would have to say that information is built up gradually in small steps, uh, a little bit at a time. And if one examines the, the mathematics of this sort of thing happening, it turns out that one has to assume that at any stage in evolution that there are a large number of possible mutations that could occur that could be adaptive. And if there are a large number, we should be able to find some today. Uh, and the fact is that we don't. Professor Dawkins, can you give an example of a genetic mutation or an evolutionary process which can be seen to increase the information in the genome? Tom, I was seriously humbled by watching that. I mean, were you, you guys, you just, he ripped at least 14 examples right off the top of his head. He was spitting them out. I could hardly even write them down. Not only was nothing coming off the top of his head, there was nothing coming out of his mouth. And that's one of the top atheist evolutionists on the planet. You put him on the spot, zero. This stuff, folks, is a bunch of lies. We got one more to go. Uh, and the next lie, of course, is what's called sequential ordering. Okay. And uh, because this is the other thing, they say, okay, well, all right, fine. So uh, maybe we don't find these perfect examples, you know, buried in the dirt. And of course, they find no examples buried in the dirt. But if you know some of their techniques, what they do is they find bones buried in the dirt, and then they start mixing and matching them. And they put them in order and say, well, there you go. Right? This proves evolution, right? Well, first of all, stop and think about that. Uh, if you find a bone in the dirt, all you know is what? It died. That's it. That's all you know. It doesn't come with a date stamped on it. It doesn't say, here's the cause of death, and here's its family history. You just know something died. That's it. You don't know anything else. You don't know if it had any kids. How many kids? What kind of kids? Okay, what about their kids? What about their family history? What kind? None of, you don't know none of that stuff. All you find uh, is bones buried in the dirt. So here's the point. So you can find all kinds of bones. We find bones in the dirt, and you can put them in any sort of order you want. That doesn't prove anything. It proves nothing. And if you take a look at it, folks, and if that's all you do is just put these random bones together, it's just like a puzzle, right? It doesn't prove anything. In fact, what it proves, if you look at it logically, you can so-called prove evolution of just about anything, including the evolution of the fork. Yes, we have hard evidence that we know that silverware has evolved over millions and millions of years based on this scientific law of sequential ordering. Let's take a look at that, see if you guys can agree. Let's take a look. Just because you can arrange animals in order doesn't prove a thing. Even if you find them buried in a certain order, that doesn't prove a thing. If I get buried on top of a hamster, does that prove he's my grandpa? <laughs> I've been doing a lot of research on the evolution of the fork. I've pieced together fragmentary evidence for years. I believe, after intensive research, the knife evolved first, and then slowly evolved to the spoon. Took millions of years, you know, great geological pressure squeezed it, dished it out, widened it up a little bit, and then slowly erosion cut grooves into the end and turned it into the short tine fork, and then very slowly, over millions of years, the grooves got longer and wider. I knew I had the right order, but I felt like I had a missing link particularly between spoons and forks. You see, spoons are rounded and no grooves. Forks are squared and grooved. That's two jumps in one. Even punctuated equilibrium can't do that. So I knew I had a missing link here, folks, but I couldn't find it. Till one day I'm flying in the airplane on US Air, 30,000 feet off the ground, and the stewardess walked down the aisle and handed me the missing link. I don't think she knew what she had. <laughs> but my trained scientific eye picked it up. I said, this is it. Later that day, I went to get some chicken for lunch and found another one. There they are, folks, the missing links. So the evolution of silverware is becoming very complete. I have found a lot of evidence since then. I've been gathering data on this for a long time. I even found a few mutants along the way. Didn't quite make it for some reason. You know, it was very interesting, though. As soon as people found out I was doing research on the evolution of the fork, 
everybody wanted to become famous. They sent me all their data from all over the country. Even some lies got sent to me, folks. I mean, some people just, they just want to be famous. This one is an obvious fork head on a spoon handle. <laughs> it didn't get by me, though. This is a cutthroat business. This fossil business is dangerous, you know. You've got to watch them. But I caught it right away. That didn't, it's not in my museum. The rest of them are, though. Even found that environmental pressures can cause all sorts of colors to arise over millions of years. Now, look, you can arrange letters in order and try to prove something if you want. You can turn a cat to a cot to a dot to a dog making one letter change at a time. If you play around for a while, you can turn yourself into a fool. Yeah. All right, if you guys are going out to eat, better pay attention to your fork. Might find the missing link uh, out there or a piece of sausage. I like what that guy said. I thought, you know, hey, wouldn't this be funny as a, as a Christian, you know, in, in love? You know, I could, I could uh, mess with the evolutionist mind and have uh, Brandy uh, Berry on top of my two wiener dogs. Yeah, wouldn't it be cool? And of course, Tom, then I thought, well, I hope she does it, but waits until after I die. So, but anyway, but we're getting along great lately, by the way, in case you're wondering. Uh, but anyway, he says, you know, you fool around, mess along enough, all these transitions, all these things, uh, you do it long enough and keep doing this, and you turn into a fool, right? Did you know that's exactly what God said? Open your Bibles real quick as we close. Romans chapter 1. You fool around with this long enough, you want to sit there and tweak, the obvious evidence that God's left for his existence, you're going to end up just like that. You're going to end up a fool. Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 18, and we've been here several different times, but now by way of examples, we conclude this portion here and what that guy just stated. Let's take a look at uh, what is going to happen. Uh, verse 18, when you get there, say move. Move, all right. It says this, the wrath of God's being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who what? What did they do? They suppress the truth. What does evolution do? They suppress the truth about what? God's existence. It's exactly what the scripture says. And uh, since what may be known about God uh, is plain to them, how? Because God's made it plain to them. How? Since it's creation. Look around. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So that men are what? You're without excuse. You're not going to stand before God. I don't have enough evidence. Uh, you know, evolution. No, look around. Right? Then he goes on. He says, for although they knew God, they know God exists, right? We talked before. First of all, there's no atheists in foxholes, the classic saying. But also, listen, if, we're really, if you really believe that we're just brainwashed and live our own little illusion, why don't you just leave us alone? Why do you fight so hard against it, right? Leave us to our own little dream world, okay? But they knew that God exists, the scripture says. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But listen, their thinking became what? Futile and their foolish hearts were darkened, although they claimed to be wise. The top evolutionists in the world, they've got degrees on top of their degrees, on top of their degrees. They keep coming up with the stories and theories and this and this is how it happens. What'd you become? You played around with it long enough, just like that guy says, and you ended up a fool. Folks, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm kind of thinking based on the track record here, um, we've been lied to. Okay, and that's putting it kind. Okay, this is happening in our world today. And this is why it's up to you and I, because they're not going to get in the schools, they're not going to get in the media. If people are going to find out the truth, the good news, that Jesus has created them. Jesus can hold you together. Jesus is holding you together, and he wants to save you and give you a wonderful relationship. But it's going to find out, you, it's up to you and I. This thing, evolution, is deadly and it's a stumbling block for people sharing the gospel, and it's our job, our privilege as Christians, to share this with them that they're being lied to. In fact, I'll close with this. Darwin actually said this. He said, if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ, organism existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory, quote, would absolutely break down. So based on the evidence we've just seen, what did old Charlie just admit? His theory just absolutely broke down. Okay, so it's up to you and I to get the truth out. But you might be thinking, okay, well, wait a second. So maybe all this uh, Genesis account is literal. It's true. But there's also another interesting thing that the Genesis account talks about that people scoff at, not only the existence of mankind and animals, evolution, stuff like that, uh, but that's the Genesis account of the flood of Noah, right? Anybody heard of that? All right, just look around Vegas. There's evidence all over. Uh, but anyway, uh, Lord willing, next week we're going to begin that journey. Uh, it's an exciting journey. Uh, we're going to take a look at giants. You ought to see what they find in the dirt. 
Uh, and as one guy said, they're covering up the evolutionists. They're covering up as much as they're digging up because it disagrees with evolution and it proves the biblical account, even the Noah society. You're going to see giant animals, not just dinosaurs, but everything was giant back in the pre-flood society, right? You had dragonflies. We saw dragonflies. Dragonflies with a wingspan four to five feet wide. Amazing. How would you like to have that hit your windshield? Yeah, be uh, getting a new car, okay? Beavers, eight feet long. Beavers, eight feet long. Well, why do you need eight foot long beavers? Because the trees back then, we found, uh, we found in the fossil record, up to 1,000 feet tall. You need bigger beavers because they're bigger trees. People got bigger. We'll even deal with that. Giants, all kinds of giants. Everything was gigantic back then in that day. And uh, we're going to take a look. And yes, that is evidence for that. Also, if there really was a pre-flood society, you should be able to find some sort of remains of that society. Pieces of buildings or furniture or things that we find that as well. They're covering that up. We'll see actual evidence for that. Uh, you also see, you know, people uh, scoff at the, 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 the ark account. That there's no way Noah can get all the animals. Yes, you can. You deal with the text. You do your math. It's absolutely uh, perfectly feasible. They know that. And we see geological evidence all over this planet that there really was a worldwide flood, not a local flood, exactly like the Bible says. So that's what we get to begin. Lord willing, next week, be here or be severely square. Let's close in prayer. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. 
Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell, and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him, to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.